Beavs wrap up home conference play. One more on the road and look forward to the postseason. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Beaver Man Beat Podcast. All right, everybody, welcome back to another edition of the Beaver Man Beat Podcast. And we are getting further and further into baseball season as things begin to wrap up here a little bit. I'll go over the weekend series a little bit. I know I didn't preview it too much, uh, just with it being such a mismatch. Um, obviously, Friday's game didn't go how many would have wanted it to go with losing that first game and what was really an offensive shootout to Utah. But a really strong job by the Beavers to bounce back and take games two and three, secure the series, making it another series win in a row for them. I think Arizona State being that last one they dropped. And there's a lot of ramifications about that series now heading in down the stretch as we'll take a look at Pac-12 standings a little bit later here in the show. But I really just wanted to break down kind of things from the weekend, things that we saw and things that maybe as we kind of head out towards the postseason, things that need to be tidied up a little bit more. Although the team is looking pretty good and relative to where they could be and where they have been. So getting into it, obviously that Friday game dropped to Utah, like I mentioned, in a shootout. 9-13 to was the final score there. Utah just put runs across, and every time the Beavers tried to work their way back into it, they were shut down by the Utah offense, really. Not as much so the pitching staff. Utah jumped out, or Oregon State jumped out, I'm sorry, to a quick 4-0 lead. Utah quickly tied it up. Next two innings, Oregon bolstered a lead back up for Utah to hang a huge six spot in at the fourth inning and then another three in the sixth, which the Beavs just could not compete with. And that's really what it looks like in this box score and everything. I wasn't quite able to, to watch, but it's just big innings. And they're stringing together hits, and hitting is contagious. So once, uh, once the bats get rolling for a team, you got to make sure you get out of that inning, limit any additional base runners, the two errors for the Beavers, highest in a while. But with that being said, the Beavers still did put up nine runs on 15 hits. Usually should be enough to carry you across the finish line there. They did struggle with the back end of that Utah bullpen with Zach McCleave and Mike Ashman both going combined three innings, only giving up the one hit throughout those final three. Trent Sellers obviously banged up a little bit, gave up seven earned runs through three and a third, two additional runs that were scored unearned. Not as many strikeouts as you, you would typically see from Sellers. He had four punch outs through three and a third, which aren't bad numbers, but he kind of has been that strikeout guy and avoiding contact has kind of been his MO. And it looks like on this day that the contact made was A, hard hit, and B, finding holes. 91 pitches through three and a third, that's always troublesome. We talked last week about the importance of the, especially down an arm with Jaron Hunter, the importance of the starters eating more and more innings and not having to turn it over to the bullpen and making sure that this bullpen is well and rested for, especially in postseason play, you kind of need a bullpen game with how often those games are being played, the quick succession, especially if you lose one of those games early in a regional or early in Omaha, the bullpen becomes a huge, huge factor because one of those games probably will be a complete bullpen game, which I think the Beavers can feel confident about. Uh, the bullpen did look pretty good. And Rhett Larson came on and he gave up a couple runs there, but the, the last really uh, three, four innings, no runs came across as Kelho and Hutchison kind of sh- work things and, and shut that Utah offense down a little bit. 
I'm not worried about sellers. There's some chatter on social media and forum boards about whether they should look elsewhere for their Friday night guy. Who are you going to go to? It's an ace versus ace on Friday nights. And not that I have anything against Kamats, and I think Kamats looked really good, but I don't think it's a significant enough of a jump to switch those two around to put sellers in the two slot on Saturday and put Kamats in the one slot. Like Again, like last week, if they do switch them around, don't be surprised that sometimes you will just do that in a regional, especially if you pull a one seed because you don't need your ace tech typically to take care of a four seed in a regional. And you'll want your, your ace for that second game, whether that be a two seed or a three seed. Usually a little more pivotal to have that guy in that instance. So I think it's fine. There's communication whether it's Dorman. There was a home run hit on a one-two pitch. This is an example that I got um, from a gentleman I was communicating with on, on Twitter. It's just a fastball right down the middle. I don't think Dorman's calling that pitch. I think that's just a missed pitch. So I don't know. I think, you know, like we noted last week, this team leads the league in ERA. This is still college baseball, especially if I know a lot of fan base, Mariners fans or watch Major League Baseball. Uh, the pitchers don't have the control that a Major League Baseball pitcher does. So it is very easy to get confused. Both leagues have a pitch clock, but there's a reason that the NCAA games can still last upwards of three, three and a half hours. Pitchers just lack that control that MLB players have. Wild pitches, a lot more walks, things of that sort. A lot more balls being left over the plate is going to be a part of that. So while it is unfortunate saying that firing Dorman or getting rid of the pitching coach, I, I don't think is the right call. If, if they're bad pitches and they're missing right over the plate, Usually, you know, like I said, I, I don't know for sure, but I'm, I'm doubtful that Dorman is calling for fastballs around down the middle. Whether that's not playing to his pitcher's strengths, so be it. But with Sellers specifically, the fastball is his strength. So I don't think there's any wrongdoing there on Coach Dorman. And I think that this coaching staff knows where they're at this far into the season. And it really is going to come down to pitchers and players, even on the offensive side, executing, which... For a while there, everything seemed to be going well. And, and every once in a while, you are going to have a slip like that. And it's just something that comes with the territory of playing this game we all love in baseball. Anybody can beat anybody on any given day. Um, and that is the rigor of playing in the postseason is that's a very difficult thing to overcome. It's the toughest, I think, softball and baseball. I mentioned it a little bit with my interview with uh, Ryan Harlan. It's the toughest championship to win. A little bit of luck is involved in there. And overcoming things like that, things like what happened Friday night, is required if you're going to get to Omaha, if you're going to have any success in Omaha, which is why I think it's important that the Beavers bounced back in games two and three on Saturday and Sunday and buttoned up their mistakes. Same opponent, same everything, which would be a little bit different in the postseason, but they grinded out a close one on Saturday and then won comfortably on Sunday. Uh, so I like the mindset of where this team, I think that's all coaching. I think that's Canham. I think it's Norman. I think it's... Barney, I think it's everybody coming together and instilling in this team that, you know, one game is not the end of the season here. It's a long haul and we're just towards the tail end of it. Taking a look now at Saturday's game, Kamats looked all right. I like that they were able to only do two bullpen arm, two arms total in this game with Ferrer eating up four masterful innings, seven strikeouts through four innings, no runs, no hits, and a huge one here, no walks. He threw four perfect innings, which... <laughs> like I just mentioned a bit earlier, if you can get a bullpen rolling and it'll be a situation he's never been used in, 
But if there comes a day in a regional where you need a big spot start from a guy like that, anybody can go out, whether it's Ferrer, Hutchison, Keldro, anybody can go out and give four perfect innings to start a game. With the way this offense is operating, that will give the Beavers a huge advantage in pulling out whatever game that might be in a game where it would be seen as a bit of a liability without having a starter ready to go on that day. So a really good performance offensively as well. A nice come-from-behind win down early, 3-0 on the first inning home run. Mason Guerra, got to be one of the hottest bats in college baseball. It seems like there's not a day goes by that he doesn't hit a home run. He jumps on a pitch on a 2-0. You know, that's the count you're looking for a pitch right in your wheelhouse, and he got it, tied it right back up in the bottom of the first. McDowell, huge plate appearance, working a 3-1 count on some tough takes. Bases clear and doubled on the right field line. Gives a nice 6-3 lead early, and that's all the beads needed. Uh, the pitching was just that good, especially Ben Ferrer down the second half. Only two runs there scored from the third inning on for Utah. But like I said, that is enough as the Beavs win a close one, 6-5, which leads you to Sunday where they were able to kind of space things out a little bit more, get some breathing room, and coast to a nice, easy victory, scoring early and often as they put up six in the first two innings, three through the middle stretch, and then another two to really button things up at the end. Um, Guerra's fingerprints are all over the stat sheet here as are most of the Beavers here. I mean, look, the top one, two, three, four, five, six players in the starting lineup had a multi-hit day. Kyle Dernetti also had multi-hits in the nine hole. And not to discount, Mr. Macias and Wilson Weber both getting some hits of their own with Macias a two RBI day there. So everything really looked good for the Beavers this day. Speaking on Utah, Utah Sundays have kind of been their days most of the season. Looking around at series that they've, Obviously not one. They've only won the one conference series. But usually they're on the verge of getting swept and they'll pull out a Sunday win. So this is no small feat here, I think, for the Beavers to take this Sunday game. A.J. Lattery seems to have now been slotted officially into that last slot. He'll be getting most of like the Sunday starts or the third starts, if you will. Um, he looked pretty good. Four and two-thirds. Only two hits, two walks, six strikeouts. That's the number you like to see um, in a really good bullpen day. <clears throat> he had... Came in, battled with a little adversity, trying to find the strike zone. But when the offense is operating at the level that it currently is, it frees you up to do that a little bit. Um, just needed the one out. Gave up two runs in the meantime. But a really strong performance by Jimenez going three innings. And Ryan Brown getting the close. Uh, very unconventional close. It was a pitch clock violation to end the game. And it put the button, or nail on the coffin, if you will. Uh, Biebs advanced to 33-14, and 16-11 and 11 in Pac-12. While Utah drops to 19, 26, and 1, they are 8, 18, and 1 in the Pac-12 and hold sole possession of last place. Going off of that into the Pac-12 standings, here are where things shake up for the final push here. Oregon State has their final weekend series this coming weekend against UCLA at UCLA, who is coming off of a series sweep to California. They just got swept at home by Cal, who is stifling now at a 9-15 and record. So they would have been 6-15 before that series started. That drops UCLA to 10-12-1. The Beavers cannot be catching them at a better time. Beavers sitting at 16-11-0. Arizona State just a hair above them at 14-9-0. And Stanford holds the uh, the top seat there at 18-6 and no ties. Breaking it, so for if you're not familiar, 
the Pac-12 standings for seeding for the tournament will go based off of win percentage. Oregon State is currently sitting at like a .593, and Arizona as State is at a .601. So it is razor thin margins there between the two. Arizona State has two conference weekends to play uh, before the season ends, where Oregon State has just the one. Arizona State is down at USC this coming weekend, and then we'll finish uh, with UCLA, I believe. I can confirm here. Yeah, they're down. They are coming off of a sweep, which really helps. Stanford took all three from Arizona State. Arizona State now has to go play at USC, and then we'll host UCLA to wrap things up, where Oregon State now is just on the road at UCLA. So of the possible outcomes of this trip for Oregon State to UCLA, a sweep obviously is the, the best outcome here. That would set the Beavers at 19 and 11 in conference play. And then it will all be kind of determined on what goes on with Arizona State. So uh, I went and crunched the numbers here. So like I mentioned just now, the Beavers sweep, they finish at 19 and 11. If Arizona State wins all out, or if they just drop one of those games, they are still ahead of the Beavers. They'll finish either 6, 8, or 29 with a 0. 0.689 win percentage or a 19-10 with a 0.655. Of note, one of their games against Washington was canceled due to weather, so they are a game short in Pac-12 play. So it won't be just as simple as looking at what their records kind of show at the end of the season. It is going to have to be a little bit of a mathematical formula. So anything below that, if the Beavers can go down to UCLA and take all three from UCLA, that puts the pressure on Arizona State to sweep one of those series and then take the other one or take both two out of three. Difficult task this late in the season on the road in one of those and against teams that aren't bad. You've got USC and UCLA. The Beavers can take two out of three this weekend. That does keep the foot on the pedal there. Um, Arizona State can now only afford to lose three of those games. So they can drop one of the series, but not both. Where it gets quite a bit easier for Arizona State to hold on to that two spot is if the Beavers can only take one or get swept this weekend. Uh, that would require Arizona State to lose four games this weekend. So probably get swept or drop both of the series. And if Arizona State only wins one, then the Beavers, no matter what, will take uh, the second spot above them. Stanford is out of reach. I believe they are sitting at 18-6. and six. I just don't see them dropping whatever series they've got on the, the last two weekends there. I think they need to get swept in both series, which won't happen. As far as that goes, that really is only important for Pac-12 seeding. Uh, I don't think the tournament committee is going to look too much at where you finished in conference. Uh, so obviously now it's just for the Beavers' sake, as long as they don't mind where they're playing in the conference tournament, seed-wise, just go win games. It's that simple. Go down, win your three remaining conference games, and, and you should be looking at a, If you can sweep UCLA, you're hosting. I think it's easy as that. If you can sweep down there, you should feel confident that you will be welcoming three teams to Corvallis come that first or that last weekend of May. But it does get a little bit trickier for you if you do lose that series down there in uh, at Jackie Robinson Field. So the door is not shut on Oregon State taking that second spot in the Pac-12. Also, with Arizona State lose, or losing that uh, 30th conference game, only playing 29, the 
tiebreaker is out the window. So now it doesn't really matter that Oregon State dropped the series to Arizona State. Obviously, we'd be looking at a different scenario now with getting that second seed, but you won't have to worry about any tiebreakers being decided because of that, because those win percentages won't be even in any any chance. So if the season were to end with Oregon State at the two or three seed in the Pac-12 tournament, they would be looking at playing either either Arizona or maybe a rematch with UCLA. I don't know if UCLA stays there. I think this year the Pac-12 is bringing nine teams to the tournament instead of just eight, which is new this year than last year. I think last year was just eight, and it'll be a round-robin style. Or maybe it's 10 instead of nine, and it's a round-robin style. So I think their goal, last year was the first tournament, and it was kind of a disaster. You had games with first pitch at like 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, and it was a big learning curve. I do think holding the tournament in Scottsdale in late May is a bad choice. But, you know, who am I? George K. and Larry Scott, I guess. Uh, George K. doesn't deserve any slander, but Larry Scott really screwed the pooch in the handling of the tournament in the conference. But, um, you know, that conversation came up last year. Well, where are you going to host it? Um because now you have to go into accordance with AAA baseball teams. If you're looking to go to Vegas, like the Pac-12 football and basketball championship, or if you look to find any of those kind of higher capacity stadiums in Northern California or even Southern California, a lot of those are filled with AAA teams or AA teams or minor league baseball teams just in general. So the Pac-12 tournament is on the horizon. Big weekend for the Beavers is this is their last chance to really show to the committee where they belong right now they seem like they're on the outside looking in from hosting losing to utah there is kind of a bummer just because they are uh, how do you say they're not and the way the rpi works is utah is probably a quad four team i don't have that confirmation but um, you don't want to lose to a quad four team which ucla being a quad two is better but playing them on the road is the biggest factor in that. Because if you can go out and take a series there from UCLA on the road, then you have kind of a big chip on your shoulder as far as where you should be ranked and things heading into uh, the selection show and things of that sort. Um, so looking forward, there is a, a really good website online. It's uh, warrennolan.com and it has the current RPI. It does all the uh, calculations on that and, and things of that sort. And you can do predicted results and all these, these types of things. So he does have us, or that website, I'm sorry, at least has us finishing 28th in the RPI, which is, I mean, a shoe in for the tournament. It'll be tougher than their two hosts. Their predictions, for example, have the Beavers losing the Friday game at UCLA and winning the latter two. So going off of those, you would need Arizona State then to at least drop three games over the weekend or their next two weekends. So not impossible, but it's going to be a lot of scoreboard watching for Beaver fans here as we get closer. But it does bring up the question of, is it better to be a 15, 16, or a 14, one seed, or is it more advantageous for the Beavers to be a high two seed and maybe play in one of those 14, 15, 16th regionals but be not hosting, be the two seed. Um, 14, 15, 16 seeds, you're probably doing a little bit of traveling. Let's see if I can pull up the most recent postseason projections and see who had 
which teams in those 14, 15, 16 slots. Uh, so it looks like 16 was Indiana. Uh, so they'd be traveling to Bloomington. Fifth team was UConn. 14 was Miami. That is an interesting one um, that I think would be neat. Uh, Leaves travel down to Miami. Um, and then the 13th seat is Austin, Texas for UT, which I would not want the Beavers to be sent to. Um, so I don't know. It's it's a, a big and exciting, fun time of the year coming down the stretch. And as for whether it is more advantageous to be the low one or the high two, it's it's tough to say. I think the Beavers have earned the right to now be in the discussion for a one or a two seed. I think if you get seated as a three, they'd be the most dangerous three in the country and a three seed that I would not want in my regional. If whatever, if that is the case, whichever one seed that they end up playing in, in their host city, as an athletic department, I'd be pretty frustrated that uh, you're getting slotted with such a big time team that has postseason experience, a manager that knows what he's doing, and kind of getting the short end of the stick, if you will, a little bit. That three and four seed, you kind of hope to be a little bit weaker so that you, you've got the easiest road to a super regional as possible. But there's things to be said. This is all a selection process by the, the committee, similar to college football and college ba- uh, basketball. And Corvallis has been known to host these uh, these regionals and super regionals, and they sell out damn near every at least Oregon State game. And it's not bad attendance at the non-Oregon State games either, but this is a place that, all these little things that you don't think of with TV slots and camera workups and all those things. The NCAA, they know where to put all this stuff in Corvallis. They've got a blueprint that is tried, true, and tested of camera setups and tech stuff and lodging and all of these things that could be needed to be worked out for other host cities that they've never been to before or not as often. Corvallis is a nice outlet for them because they've got everything kind of already worked out. They know hotels, they know all the logistics about hosting a regional and a super regional in Corvallis. And you have to think those things appeal to the committee when thinking about whether to send a team out to stores, Connecticut, where they don't quote me, but I don't know if UConn has hosted a regional since ESPN has been doing coverage of all 16 regionals and all eight super regionals. Some of the things like that, I think, have to come into play. Obviously, fan base is important. You know Oregon State has a rowdy and incredible fan base that will support, that will sit out there and tailgate. They can count on 4,000 coming through the gates every time Oregon State takes the field. So you got to like those things. You talk about like the blue blood bias in college basketball. That's very much so real. You got to think it's probably real in college baseball as well. So that gives the nod to the Beavers hosting some of these outlets still have Oregon hosting, which I find to be kind of um, outrageous to say the least. But, you know, who's to say? Like I said, all these numbers and things going in there. I don't think Eugene has hosted since, gee, I think maybe that year that they lost to Kent State. No, I'm sorry. They lost, they hosted, what, two or three years ago, but lost in the regional. So we'll see. That is one that you know if Oregon's hosting a regional. I think Oregon State probably would not also host a regional. I don't know how the NCAA would go about handling that, but I think it'd be awesome if both those schools hosted a regional on the same weekend. You'd have to think that that college baseball and the state of Oregon should take a massive jump from something like that, just garnering attention uh, to local communities and nationally if you see that 
you've got eight teams travel or six teams traveling into the state to to play in their regional tournaments. Uh, so wrapping up here, I'll do a little bit of discussion on what to look for to tomorrow night, or I guess tonight, because this episode will release Tuesday. But it is the annual um, Hillsboro Ron Tonkin game against the UP. I will be there, seated down my right field line. I'm very much still looking forward to it. I'm hoping the weather can can hold on for us. We'll take a brief look here. Um, I was up at the Mariners game on Sunday, and that was gorgeous weather. Um, and it is looking nice, looking at peaking temperatures and hopefully partly cloudy. So hopefully the beach can get out there. What is always just an awesome, awesome environment. Um, I think that it is excellent they do it once a year. I understand why football doesn't do it because it's the biggest revenue generator and we've got a brand new stadium. But I will say that Montana State game up in Portland was awesome. And I think it's something that should do more. They've got a lot of alumni up here. But I do think the Timbers probably take a whole bunch of that revenue away from the Peeves. So I totally get it. Yeah, a, a fun game. I think one that... Gee, I really hope the Beavers win. One that I, I don't think should affect their RPI too negatively. If you do lose, Portland is 126 in the RPI, so that's a quad three game. And I think that is technically a home game for the Beavers, oddly enough. Uh, obviously, it's a neutral site game, but I do think that it is categorized on that RPI sheet as a home game. And uh, I'm staying corrected. RPI does apply the fact that it's a neutral site game which won't be the Beavers' first neutral site game this year with their series down in Arizona to start the year. It will be Portland's first neutral site. Uh, Portland's a team that started off playing really, really good baseball. They since have kind of, uh, I don't want to say fallen apart, but they went through a kind of a tough stretch there once conference play started, um, dropping a couple series, but they're back playing good baseball, taking the last three conference series for them, the BYU, Gonzaga, and San Diego, and they beat Oregon just a couple weeks ago. So anything is possible. Should be a good time out there. And let me know if any of you guys are out there. Always a good time when the Beavers are out there on the diamond, especially when the weather is looking nice. So I will leave it at that sign off. I will be back Thursday for a weekend preview for the UCLA series. I'm interested. I haven't looked quite yet, but I'm interested to get into them and see what has been happening in the last couple of weeks where they started to fall off and what kind of went wrong for them to get swept by Cal and see if there's any cracks in the foundation there and see if it highlights anything or gives any insight as to what the Beavers will be facing come this weekend. Uh, but also, since it'll kind of play a role in that Arizona State series, they still have to play UCLA. And if that was just a one-time thing from UCLA, I feel better about the Arizona State series. But if UCLA kind of has some, some fundamental cracks and have kind of shifted in for the season, you got to think that gives the nod to Arizona State. But that will do it for me today. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Go Beavs if you are going to the game tonight or if you're just going to plan on watching slash listening um, or not always go Beavs. But and if I catch you after Tuesday, hopefully things went well Tuesday night and we will look forward to having you back later this weekend for the UCLA preview, the Pac-12 season finale. God, the season's here and gone just like that. Well, all right. I will talk to you all on the later end of the weekend. Have a good one. Enjoy the weather. It's supposed to be turning on here. Uh, and as always, go Beavs! <laughs>